VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we discuss one of the most entertaining days at the World Cup yet. We will see Argentina go through on penalties after giving away a two-goal lead against the Netherlands. We'll dissect the performance of both and ask if Argentina are really good enough to go all the way in this competition. The Croatians... Well, we ask a very similar question. They, of course, don't have the superstars that Argentina do, but they managed to get past Brazil today. They're resilient. How far could it take them this time around? And we, of course, will look ahead to a massive Saturday at the World Cup, which includes England taking on France. This is the game. Hello and welcome back to the Game Podcast. I am Hugh Wizencroft, a little bit sniffily in Doha. You know, hot, cold, hot, cold. It is what it is. I'm almost home, guys. All right. So just forgive me at this point in time. I'm trying my absolute best. I did manage to get to a game today. I'll tell you all about it. Saw Croatia come past Brazil. But alongside Alison Rudd and Tom Clark, we're going to react to the game that's finished around 10 minutes or so ago that saw Argentina book their place in the Final Four where they will face Croatia after coming through a penalty shootout against the Dutch. They were 2-0 up and thanks to Wout Weghorst and an ingenious uh, free kick um, routine, they managed to pull the goal back late on. It was feisty, understatement. It was aggressive. I loved it. It was how the World Cup was meant to be. Um, But before we get to the details there, I have to say, are we all we all clear that this is these are this is the worst set of teams ever to to join up for a World Cup? No one is good. Uh, there is not a good team. Maybe France are good. I don't know. But even then, they've got weaknesses. But like genuinely, you know, like who was good? Not even who's left. That like who was good in this tournament? Who was a really good team that you're like, yeah. Mighty Gareth and the lads, Hugh, come on, that's an obvious answer. I don't know why you're even posing the question. The team that's going to win the World Cup. Next question. Move on. What do we make of tonight? Come on, let's go. No, I want to hear what Alison Rudd thinks about my opening question, then I'll move on. Go on. <laughs> well, it's 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 bits of teams, isn't it? That's the problem. No team has been wonderful consistently through. So there are like bits. So we're going to kick off. We're not going to kick. Are we going to kick off with Holland? Okay. I thought Holland were very, very grown up team, but they took it too far tonight and became too grown up and started playing with passion a bit too late in the day. Argentina, they they played like children in the playground when they came under pressure from Holland. So they they got through, but they were deeply unimpressive for periods, psychologically unimpressive for periods of that game. But, you know, you, you can't argue with some of Messi's vision and touches and so on. So it's what's been good are bits of bits of teams. There hasn't been one team that have been consistently 
wowing wowing us all. But we knew that, Hugh, we knew that from the very beginning, that this was a weird World Cup in a weird place held at a weird time of year, that it was going to be patchy. And I think that's what we've got. Okay. No, I fully, fully understand where you're coming from. Um, we've enjoyed bits of teams. We, we have enjoyed bits of teams. Not all of their bits, but, but some of their bits. Okay. Well, listen, let's talk about um, the bits that we liked and the bits that we didn't like when it came to the game between Argentina and the Netherlands. You know, I've written down something on my, my notes here that I, I really can't repeat, except I think you all know now that I don't think Argentina are great. It was the fifth mediocre performance that I've seen from them. It, they're like a side that, that wants to almost impress on other people that they're a great football team, but they're not. They almost want to stick their chests out and be and have the arrogance of a great football team, but they're not. And if they didn't have Messi, I, I honestly don't think they would have... I mean, I think they would probably would have lost every game or certainly they wouldn't have won any of their games. Like, he is the, he is the difference. He is the person that makes them win games. Had they gone out tonight, they would only have had them, themselves to blame from two goals up. Messi, again, is unbelievable and we can talk about him and I'm sure we'll continue to talk about him. But genuinely, as a team, his bits are the only bits I enjoy when it comes to Argentina. <laughs> Wouldn't you well, agree, Alison? You could, you could stay. I do understand where you're coming from, Hugh. But you could say having more or less imploded during as that game came to a close, and they looked to be going through with ease, and then it all unravelled for them. To be able to then get themselves back in the groove and to dominate certainly the second period of extra time and start playing football again. I mean, it was it was on a precipice at that point. I felt they could either completely crumble and just just succumb to a ball over the top and then not know what to do. But they didn't. They did actually start playing some decent stuff, putting in some good crosses, threatening the goal. They they did look like they, you know, regrouped. And that that is that they will have to focus on that bit of what happened tonight as opposed to the part where they press the self-destruct button and seem to forget formation, attitude, everything just went out the window. They became a bit of a mess briefly because they couldn't cope with, with Holland throwing on all their big men and playing long balls and suddenly finding an aggression they hadn't had before. So you, you could, I think you could flip it and say, wow, you know, to, to have the rug pulled from under you like that and then just to, to go again and and secure the penalty shootout. That's not bad, is it, in a, in, a, in a team? No? No credit there? If you're two goals up, you don't secure a penalty shootout, do you? I mean, at no point can it be seen as a good outcome that you were winning by two goals. Yeah, and but that's the point. Secured. That's the point. Everyone knew it was dreadful, but they managed to not lose it completely and to, to you know, to, to find a way to regroup. That, that took something. Alison's right. They did definitely improve in extra time and they did because it was a game. It, it, it was so charged with emotion, wasn't it? It was one of those games where I think a lot of people will have found Argentina's behavior pretty despicable and odious at times. Um, there's pictures that I'm seeing now 
of them celebrating in front of Holland after the penalty shootout. You know, I love a bit of shockhousery myself. You know, I do. I, they, they took it too far at times. Paredes probably shouldn't have been on the pitch to take a penalty in the shootout. He probably should have been sent off. I'm sure we'll come to some of the refereeing decisions, which was for me one of the worst refereeing performances of the, this World Cup. But I think Alisson's right. You could at least watch that extra time and go, Argentina are the better team. They, they, they're offering more than, than Holland. Holland. Holland had 10 minutes where, you know, Wout Weghorst came on it was an extraordinary free kick to even try and to pull off in the 100th minute. Extraordinary. But ultimately, Argentina offered a lot more overall, I think. So that, that Alison's right. And I, it's, a, it's a real shame Greg is not on this podcast because I think he would, he would be thinking what I was thinking, which it, it, was, it was a bit like a Football League playoff match, this game, in that it was supercharged with emotion. There was con- controversy, poor refereeing, um, not loads of quality. Um, apart from Lionel Messi, and it it came down to penalties. So it reminded me a lot of, yeah, maybe a championship playoff game in some respects, um, if that's not doing massive insult to Lionel Messi and his, at times, brilliance. Uh, but- uh, to be honest, I'm amazed you didn't say FA Vars. I thought that that's, you know, certainly <laughs> well, coming I, I, out. Do, do you know what? We were talking about our notes, Hugh, and I know that you said couldn't, couldn't say what you were going to say about Argentina, but I actually have got National League playoff here, and then I decided, you know what, I'm going to spare myself <laughs> from the from the Twitter vitriol. But I've said it now anyway, so there you go. Lionel Messi, National League level. Clip it up, quote me on it whenever you want. Um, but I do think I do think it was poor. But I, I would also just say a tiny small point that I was thinking as Argentina were in the ascendancy was that, yes, Messi is far beyond a lot of these players, but this is not an Argentina team maybe blessed with players like Brazil where you've got Neymar and then you've maybe got players that are a step below. The gap from Messi to Alexis McAllister, to Acuna, to all these players that are in the team, it does create that divide where you then end up seeing a team that only produces in patches or, as Alison eloquently put it, in bits because these <laughs> these, these are players that aren't, aren't of that level. So they're only going to produce in patches. And I actually felt players like Acuna, McAllister were pretty solid and did their jobs, which is a lot more than can be said for Holland because I think Holland... Other than Vout Weghorst, I mean, justice for old Vout. Poor lad at the end, scored a pen. Absolutely heroic off the bench. But yeah, I think all the other Holland players were pretty, pretty poor. Well, this is why I don't think Argentina are that good. I don't think either of me and Alison are disagreeing with you in that point in general. I think we are like the rays of sunshine that we so often are, trying to bring, you know, little bits of glimmering light into the idea that Argentina are World Cup semi-finalists. Because I agree with you that they're, they're not. A, a great team. Um, they have a world superstar, and then they have players like you know. Emmy Martinez has, by all accounts, for me, had a pretty poor season for Aston Villa, and is now a World Cup hero for saving two of what were pretty poor average penalties that very much ticked the cliche of it's a great height for the goalkeeper. I felt. Um, so you know, I, I'm I'm not disagreeing with you about um, how poor Argentina are. I'm just finding the little snippets. Um, very much in the um, idea that they are perhaps at championship playoff level in terms of the quality of this match. But Hugh, you sound, you actually sound offended by what you've watched today as though, were you expect, were you, did you think Argentina were a different team than they actually turned out to be? No, no, no. My, my issue with Argentina, I think, is that they are not as good, like you could say that their team is not full of incredible players, that it's full of a lot of very good players. And I include the likes of Acuna and Alexis McAllister in there. There's there's lots of good players. Look at the bench 
that was watching on. You had Dybala and Di Maria, you know, sitting on the bench watching on. If Lataro Martinez, who scored the, the the winning penalty, doesn't start, then it's Julian Alvarez. I mean, there there is lots of quality around that that squad, but for one of the favourites coming into the competition, that so many people have it in their hearts, they want to see Messi win a World Cup and all of that stuff. But I just they haven't materialised as a team that I think is good enough to win the World Cup, and I'm judging them off five what I would call mediocre performances. Like they're, they're more than good enough to get through these games by being mediocre and having Messi. But I just don't think it's going to be enough for them to win the World Cup. Like I, I, My main conclusion of this game was nothing to do with the outcome of this game. But my main conclusion was, once again, I've seen a team that I don't think is going to be good enough to win the World Cup, which I think is an underachievement. Not not, not, not winning the World Cup, sorry, but not even being a team that, that is good enough to. Because no, only one team ultimately wins, but you could say that's a team that played well in the tournament, had a chance of winning it, got far, which they already have now. Um, and we could say, look, they were unlucky, however. They, but I mean, I'm still watching a team. I think, ah, oh, if France or England or, you know, if they show up against, if Croatia show up against Argentina, they're going to win. They're going Which to, is they're great going news, to and that's why England are going to win it, Hugh. We, we'll come back to this later. We started on the <laughs> podcast with it, and we, you know, we'll see it again tomorrow night. I do think um, the whole Messi scenario, and I'm, I, I, I don't know whether you two agree with me on this, but I, Lionel Messi is quite good at football. I think we can all agree on that. I find, and I think what you've stumbled across, Hugh, is the idea of the gap between the players that are in this Argentina team with him is facilitating this kind of my favourite word, narrative of this is his moment, this is his tournament that everyone seems to have bought in on. The commentary tonight was pretty nauseating for me. The analysis and the BBC, it was a good reverse pass, lads. We, we see them pretty much every weekend in the Premier League. A lot of creative players tend to like, like a little look. and a pick. I mean, it was good. It was a good pass. It, it's, not the, it's not the best pass he's ever played in his career. It was a good pass. It was a great Even goal. I can say that was brilliant. It was, a great, it was a great goal, but it wasn't descended from heaven. Oh my God, that was the most precious thing I've ever seen. But I think part of it is that there's nothing else to praise and eulogize about. So we're getting this slightly nauseating fascination with Messi at the end of his career in this tournament. And obviously the Ronaldo narrative is completely different. We've not got Neymar anymore. So, you know, it's this slight fetishization almost. Alison, come on, back me up. You're nodding your head. Jump, jump in, help me out. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm nodding my head because uh, the the commentary was pretty cringe sometimes. And the, uh, I had, I had been kick, sport here, so... Sorry? I was listening to Peter Drury and Alan Smith, so you guys are going to have to tell me what it was like back there. No, it was just it was, it was just Martin Keown and Jonathan Pierce. I think were on the BBC, and uh, I, I don't blame them for for bigging up Messi because because simply because we we've just been discussing there was a lot of relative dross, and commentary teams don't want to just keep banging on about things being ordinary in case people go and make a cup of tea and forget to come back. So they have to hi- hype it up. But you know, Messi misses a free kick, and it's drooled over as though. It, it had gone in. If you if you were just relying on the audio, you, you'd have thought it that the Argentina were miles ahead. It was just even when he does something that's bang average, it's, it's not a normal bang average, is it? It's 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 you know gilt edged. It's marvelous. It's wonderful. But having said all that, the Argentine approach to their star player is healthier than the Brazil approach was to their star player. 
you know, Messi takes the first penalty instead of wanting the glory with the fifth. You know, it works out for them. They're they're sensible with him. They don't ask him to do too much, but also they don't carry they don't carry him. He's still he's still he's still part of the team, even when he's not doing flash stuff. He's he's not a passenger. It's it's a healthy approach to having an unhealthy obsession with one player, if that can be true. I think that is right, but I'm also, I've just very briefly got to get off my chest because I have had a few gins. It's late at night. We're recording this podcast. Miguel Lojao's not giving Messi a yellow card for that handball was one of the most embarrassing things I've seen at this World Cup. And Virgil van Dijk's face afterwards where he was looking at the referees as if to say, mate, come on, are you actually not going to do that? That's what I mean. I'm slightly slightly concerned about this kind of narrative that is building up around Messi because I've, I've discussed it with colleagues in the office and a lot of them, you know, even England fans are saying, oh, but I wouldn't mind it if Argentina won, you know, for Messi. I'm like, what? That's not how it works. He's won loan. <laughs> like if they win it and he's brilliant, that's great. But that's not how sport works. I don't understand what's going on here. Should we just hand it to him? Oh, that's lovely. Oh, it's nice, isn't it? He deserves it. No, he doesn't. Win it. Then you deserve it. This is a side point, but it's about the third or fourth clearly deliberate handball that hasn't been given as a yellow card in this tournament. Like players literally jumping up and like volleyball style like hitting the ball with their hands haven't been given yellow. So maybe the laws have changed because I thought a deliberate, deliberate, clearly deliberate handball was was a yellow card. But I've seen a few already. I think many in one of the France games just, yeah, it was a free kick, which is very odd, but there you go. Just to go back to your point, Tom, not to labour on it too much, but my point is not on... It's not to do with how Messi is handled in the Argentina team. It is to do with a feeling of loss that a team that could be at its maximum could get the best out of all of its players. It's kind of getting 90% out of its clearly best player. Everyone else is beneath their, their maximum. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, if, if, if Argentina... If 11 players play to their maximum, this team would be virtually unbeatable. Instead, it's just like today they descended into silliness. And it's just, I don't know, I'm just left with a feeling that, that like I felt today, you know, Croatia could get a result against Brazil and they did. I'm left thinking Croatia can get a result against Argentina. Um, and, and, and the thing is, when I say that, I, th- I don't think it will require that much to get a result against these teams. I'm not there saying, oh, if, if Croatia play out of their skin, like, no. If if Croatia just show up, there, there's a good chance they'll get a result. Like, if Croatia perform how they perform today, it's a 50-50 match against Argentina. Like, it, it, they're not good enough, in my opinion, to be dubbed, like, co-favourites for this competition, to have been on that winning run, to have shown up at the World Cup, to have not played, not put together a 90-minute performance. Like, I'm, I'm watching their games and I'm like... I do fancy it. Like I, I, I say, I fancy it. I think England could win the World Cup, but I actually think everyone left is good enough to beat any of the others on any well, given isn't day. That ex- isn't that exciting? What a thrill! <laughs> what a what an exciting time we've got. But I do I do agree with you, and I think Argentina were poor. What I would say, and this allows me to cover my back slightly after dismissing what was an excellent goal, Molina's touch and finish was superb. But I think what you're talking about, Hugh, with Messi is that there is an opportunity there for those other players because that goal comes about from an excellent pass. But it also, you know, Nathan Ake was clearly tasked with the job of man-marking Messi for the first half for most of the 90 minutes. Didn't go that well. The brilliance of the pass comes not only from the no-look nature of it, but from the pass, the fact that it 
is sent back into the area of defence where Ake would have been. Ake follows Messi out and Messi sends the ball back to where Ake would have been. And there's a huge gap with Daly Blind at wing-back to Virgil van Dijk. And I think that's fascinating when you think about a team that is so focused on one star that he can create openings by going, they're all going to follow me, guys. Over to you. And it's also perhaps a lesson for England tomorrow and Kylian Mbappe, where if the focus is too much on a star, that can create holes and leave space for other people. And so I do think you make an interesting point about those other players. If Argentina are to go up a level, it's about those guys quite literally stepping into the space that Messi leaves. And also, I mean, Messi's been doing that all his life. I know I know, he's played in great teams, but even in the great teams he's played in, you do see that happening time and time again. So why wouldn't you, if you were manager of Argentina, think, well, I'll just exploit that to the hilt? I don't feel Messi's teammates are playing much more poorly than we would have expected on a man-by-man level. I, they're a pretty ordinary team. They're, you know, there's no one, I think, oh, oh, I'm disappointed in what he's done. Not at all. I, I think they're, they're sort of playing the way I would, would expect them to play. I, I'm surprised that you, you, you feel that they're, they're, there's a whole raft of players there not giving what you thought they would give. I think, I think they are. I don't know. As a group, I just think it's an underperformance. So far, this World Cup has been an underperformance. I am disappointed. I think even Paredes came off the bench. He started the tournament in the starting team, not being good enough. PSG midfielder Lautaro Martinez started the team, started the tournament in the starting 11, dropped. Emi Martinez, even him, hasn't had a great tournament, even though he's the hero today, as Tom says, but hasn't had a great tournament. I mean, I could go through the team. The fact that Di Maria, I know he got an injury, but he's no longer in the starting team. Players like Paolo Dybala don't even threaten to get into the starting team. I don't know what's what they see in training. Julian Alvarez, I think, is a really good player. He's played okay in bits. You know, it's just it's just not so many players. Are, I honestly think it's a messy effect as well because I, I, I feel as professional players they aren't taking responsibility for the outcome of the games because they believe Messi will wrestle the result. And so it's all about him. So I do I do think there's an element of like, well, I don't have to take responsibility for the, for how I play because Messi's there and he'll win us. There. Like I do feel there's a big element of that, not just with the players, but the coaching staff, the fans as well. Even Scaloni said in one of his press conferences, like, you know, he was asked, well, do you think of taking Messi off? This is when I think they'd qualified at the end of the group stage. And he was like, I would only take him off if he asked me to. You know, it's, 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 it's basically that, like it's, it's that vibe. I agree. And I think that comes back to my point earlier about this kind of narrative that has been bubbling away and is really rising to the surface amongst commentators and everyone on the pitch around Messi. To flip the idea on its head about your criticisms of Argentina, something we discussed after the group stages and some of those kind of mismatched last 16 ties, looking at that game and thinking ahead to semi-finals and being a neutral, I can at least console myself with the idea that Argentina were probably better than Holland in terms of reaching the next stage. So I, I'm flipping it on its head. You can at least say, okay, well, I, I think I'll, I'll see a better game. You know, Holland, I think, have probably gone as far as they could. 
my only real sadness is that we won't get any more Louis van Gaal press conferences. That is all I would ask from any TV network out there is go and snap him up just for the end of the tournament. What an absolute joy he's been. But that's my only real sadness about Holland not being in it anymore is no more Louis van Gaal chat. I think you can at least flip it on its head, Hugh. Hopefully you'd agree with me that Argentina are better off than Holland in the semifinals. I did enjoy the Dutch comeback though. Oh, it's a remarkable. I mean, we we need that 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 free kick is absolutely astonishing, isn't it? As much as it delayed us by an hour from recording this podcast and meant I had two more gins before I came on, it it was extraordinary. Like the confidence to try that kind of free kick. We've all we were all watching it, weren't we? Thinking this is either going ten yards over the bar, or it's going straight in the wall. And short free kick routine, touch, bang, bottom corner. Absolutely extraordinary. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it played into the element of. Anything can happen at this World Cup that we felt we we have felt throughout. Uh, uh, yeah, I think this World Cup's almost an endorsement for don't give the players any prep, don't let the managers coach them for long, just put them out there. Anything can happen. The World Cup will be better. We'll get more drama. We'll get more upsets. And like yeah, I just, what, just hit record. Don't do any prep. <laughs> See what happens. Stick them on. Give them a microphone. We'll work it out. With this comeback, the only thing that I thought was in extra time that the Netherlands had that great 10-15 minute spell where they were really scaring um, the Argentine players just by being very direct into the box. Obviously, they needed two goals. But then when they equalised, they stopped doing that, which I found strange because then Argentina just got back on top and got back into a rhythm and controlled the rest of the game. Like, I would have thought they would have just, just go for it. Like, they can't deal with us. Valt's the man. Like, let's just get it in the box. And they just they just didn't. It was it was too lackluster for me. It was almost like, right, let's get this to pens. And that's not good enough either. It's another reason why it was quite similar to a Football League playoff game because they seesaw like that as well in the team that finally comes back into it doesn't capitalise on the momentum that they generate. But it's been fascinating in the sense of that slight unpredictability and um, haphazard nature of this World Cup at times that a lot of teams have resorted to stick it in the mixer. We've had a joke in the office where whenever it comes on, I've been on Google Translate for looking at what that language is for stick it in the mixer. It turns out the Dutch is actually quite similar. It's just stick it unzint mixer, basically the same thing, <laughs> um, so, which is a bit of a shame because I was all prepared to show off. Um, but no, it, it, you're right. It was fascinating. And you did think they've really rattled them here. But I do wonder whether that full-time, extra-time regroup comes back to that point that Alison made earlier where we can at least give Argentina that bit of credit for taking control back in extra time. And also, we have to give Argentina credit for coping with the humiliation of that result against Saudi Arabia, where everyone was laughing. Come on, everyone was laughing at them. And it looked like, oh, you know, this isn't going to be our World Cup at all. You know, were we fooling ourselves? Can you imagine what it would be like to be in that camp to have had to have made them all feel like no we can we can we can claw our way out of this we have we have enough quality let's just not crumble and they they seem to be doing that consistently looking i don't think either of us are disagreeing with you looking looking disappointing but having that ability that psychological ability to not let it just drown you that sense of oh it's going against us we're, we're humiliated they could easily have just gone poof like some other big teams have gone poof they didn't having said that I've taken it all back I hate Lionel Messi I take it all back I've just been sat there thinking we're going to move on and I've just been on Twitter and I've seen that he's quoted as saying Van Gaal says they play good football 
but what he did was put tall people on and hit long balls. That Lionel is still good football, you snobby little sod. Get him out of the World Cup. I've had enough of him. Get him out. He's done. But he does, he, does, he does have a height issue. He does have a problem with people being tall, bless him, doesn't he? Well, exactly. But don't get me started on the whole good football thing. Absolutely disgraceful. I take it back. Tell it was a rubbish to the pass. podcast. Completely. You'll find out that he's, he's awful as well. His team's awful as well. They play rubbish football. They were aggressive. They were kicking the ball into the substitutes and, and fouling everyone. And it was, it was vicious. So there you go. And maybe, maybe, but look, I don't want to be harsh on Messi, but I, I wonder if Van Gaal said something about the way Argentina played and then that was put to Messi and he responded angrily. I can I can see it was a he said, where's, he said where's, situation. Where's the fun in having the context in there, Hugh? Just let me say something outrageous about the be- best football who's ever lived, all right? I'll live and die by my quotes after four gin and tonics. Let me, leave me be. Well, listen, Messi's marching on. I don't think he's going to encounter much better football in the next game, although Croatia's midfield were brilliant once again. I witnessed it firsthand. Luka Modric is absolutely incredible. A a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful midfielder of his generation. Continues to go at 37 years old. And he just conducted that midfield once again today. And he just does it with such ease. And he's still got speed around the midfield. And he's still got energy to carry his team through extra time. And he's got the leadership. And Croatia, unbelievably, having conceded in the first period of extra time after a goalless draw against Brazil, 50% of the stadium, at least fans, genuine Brazilian fans, probably about 5% of it, genuine Croatian fans, managed to find an equaliser in the second half of extra time to take it to penalties. It almost felt like fate at that point. Livakovic, their their goalkeeper, saved a, a penalty once again. He was a hero in the last round against Japan. But it was it's the resilience of Croatia that just um, underpins who they are, I think, and that identity. Is it eight out of their last nine um, knockout rounds at major tournaments have gone to extra time? They know what it's all about. Actually, I spoke to a Croatian journalist just before the game who said, this is a new team. Only eight of them were, were there in 2018. And yet the spine of it, you know, the, the, I think the leadership that, that comes from Perisic and Kovacic and Brozovic, Modric, you know, is enough. Dejan Lovren as well, you know, is enough to say throughout that team, we do know what we're doing because the messages out there are just, they're just right. Brazil, listen, I hope you did skip the first part and came straight to this. Because <laughs> if you think I slated Argentina, whoa, 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 whoa. Brazil took the piss today. I actually could not believe it. I couldn't, well, I could believe it. I, I think we all felt that, that Croatia were good enough to beat them. But my word, firstly, the manager, Cicce, who stayed with the same formation, even though Croatia were, were dominating central midfield, massive mistake. Lucas Paqueta of uh, West Ham United was like a training cone for most of that game. He just didn't know where to go. He's not a natural holding midfielder. And when Brazil didn't have the ball, he just chased shadows and he was left out there for far too long before he was replaced by Fred um, in extra time. Terrible, terrible, terrible decision. The wingers wouldn't track back. So it was like it was cheating the World Cup. Like you actually thought you would get through by saying to your wingers, you don't have to track back. So he just took them off. It was like, well, it doesn't matter if the new ones are fresh, if they don't actually run back. 
And it was just a really weird, like, well, there's no point taking off Vinicius Jr. There's no point taking off Rafinha for not running back if the people that replace them don't run back. It didn't make any sense. He continued with it. Large periods of the game. Croatia um, dominated possession. And in the end, it turned into a bit of a training exercise for Modric and Kovacic and Brozovic, who were just doing, like, one-touch triangles around the place. It was really, it was so good to watch. And actually, when Brazil scored, which was a brilliant goal through Neymar, and it did equal Pelé's goal-scoring record for the, the, the men's team in Brazil. But honestly, that goal was the one genuine moment of quality that Brazil showed. And you, I actually went, oh, Neymar, where's he been for the whole game? Because you're almost like, like in the Messi situation, you're like, if you are that good, we should see it more often. Like, there's no way that you should play within yourself for that length of time and then suddenly turn into a Ballon d'Or. You know, it wasn't a fluke. Like, he, we know what he can produce. He wasn't getting on the ball. He wasn't trying to make things happen. Whatever you want to say about Messi walking for half of the time that he's on the pitch, the other half of the time, he's trying to make something happen. And Neymar was, was, was absent. I'm not ranting, I promise. All I'll say is that they got what they deserved because when they scored the goal, they then decided... Strangest thing ever, up at a corner, we'll, we'll leave one person back 10 minutes before the end of extra time. When, in fairness to Croatia, as well as they played, they did not threaten Alisson in the Brazilian goal at all. At all. Their goalkeeper had to make a, a few good saves in the game. He actually made 10 saves in the game altogether, but I think a few of them, both, in fact, two very good ones to Neymar before he scored uh, at close range, he managed to save with his legs. But there just wasn't enough from Brazil in this game with just such a, again, a ridiculously talented squad of players playing within themselves. I don't know if it's just the lack of warm-up time or what, but these were not the players that we see in the Champions League or in club football. They just weren't. And, and Croatia just had the, I want to say consistency. They had that comfort of having played with one another and just knowing what it takes to hang tough to stay in the game. Yeah, it was a huge slice of luck to get the equaliser, but I actually said... They deserved it on the evidence of everything that they did, everything that they didn't do in attack, they did well in defense and they, they probably deserved at least a draw out of the 120 minutes. And I, the penalties were the penalties and anything can happen, but they got themselves there on merit, I think. And I just, again, I, I, I think Brazil disappointed a nation. You know, and they you. just weren't. Arguably, more, weren't arguably you more, I reckon. I reckon there aren't many more people in Brazil more miffed than you. Well, you. the thing is, I started my broadcast of the game by saying the win over South Korea was an anomaly, wasn't it? Because I went through, obviously, in my pre-match prep to look at the stats of all the games that they'd had so far, the sort of areas of success and whatnot. And I was like, oh, apart from the Serbia game where they had 25 shots and they scored twice... And even that was a bit of an alarm bell for me because I was like, okay, why aren't they scoring more goals with that much, that, those many attempts on goal? And obviously Serbia had a half-decent game, but the other games were tight. Switzerland, again, not a great team, was a goal to nil. And, you know, the other game I think was, what, 2-0? No, the other game they lost, sorry. The other game they lost to Cameroon. So in the end, I was like, okay, do you know what? They're not that good. And South Korea didn't show up. So I was like, okay, this is, this is a very evenly matched contest. And in the end, I think Croatia, again, I don't think they had to do massive amounts to get a result, which is why I said at the top, no one's good. No one at the, if Brazil and Argentina <laughs> were the favourites, if Brazil and Argentina were the favourites, then no one's good. No Sometimes. one's good at this World Cup. 
sometimes when I'm listening to uh, all of you wonderful my colleagues speaking on this podcast, I try and guess which catchphrase our producer John is going to pick out for the subject. And so far, the contenders are it's in bits and no one's good, which I'm hoping we, we come up with a line before the end of the show that's a bit more enticing than that. Um, I think you that you're doing Croatia a little bit of a disservice. I myself had done them a disservice in my analysis this tournament because I you know, painted them as the kind of old timers, the old stages to control the game. And I actually think in the first half, they went at Brazil far more than I expected. They pressed higher up the pitch than I expected. And I think that set the tone to un- unsettle a lot of those kind of eight out of 10 players that you're picking out, the ones that are below Neymar in terms of quality that you are quite, quite rightly analyzing and saying didn't, didn't step up, didn't perform. I think they looked better when they made substitutions. I thought Anthony was bright in patches on on the right wing when he came on. But you're right. A lot of those other players, the ones not Neymar, didn't perform. But I think that was due to Croatia. I genuinely think they unsettled them. They surprised them with the way they were pressing. And I also think that in the nature of the game, that extra time, I would honestly love a kind of psychologist to analyse this Croatian team. Because... We have so many statistical metrics in football, but no one has yet worked out one for mentality and they need to. Like, never mind expected goals. Like, you need expected cojones because these guys are unbelievable. Like, the manager, Zlatko Dalic, it's like he knows something that no one else does. It's like he knows. It's all right. This is, don't worry, lads. This is going to pens and we're going to win. He even looks like it's going to happen. He looks like a kind of suave businessman who's got way more money than he lets on. It's extraordinary. And he exudes that to his players on the pitch. They were doing that in extra time. There was a moment where Perisic like, flew into the back of Anthony. They'd had a bit of a 50-50 battle going for the whole of the second half. Gave away a free kick and Perisic just grinned in that kind of way that great teams who are great at defending set pieces do in the Premier League. You know, like the great Burnley teams down the years under Sean Dyche. Just like, have a corner, lads. Just have it. We're not even, but go on, take another free kick. There were, I think you're right to pick out how poor Brazil were, but I think we have to, for the sake of this podcast, where we're saying that a load of people are crap in the World Cup's quarterfinals, we have to praise the sheer calmness and utter we, composure we of this Croatian side. We do. To win, we do. To, win, to win that game on penalties and to come back and believe they can score a goal, what I thought was extraordinary. You know they're crap too, don't you, Tom? <laughs> you, you do Maybe know that, don't you? There's the line. They There's had the one line, shot on target. They had a, they had a shot need. on target That's deflected in 120 minutes. One shot. That's all a you need. deflected effort. That, 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 that is all great they move, needed. Though. Great move. Right. Come on, good but counter-attack. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, yeah. Hang on, hang on. Hang on. A great side, would you? This is getting silly because I know you're half tongue-in-cheek there, Hugh, really. Because I, I know you, I know you admire what Croatia have done. They are a tiny nation. They have fewer than four million people. They had, they had eleven they, what players. What they get, what they get out of what is available to them is absolutely staggering. I think we take them for granted. We take them for granted because they got to the final four years ago, and we all know who Luka Modric is. But. Let's take the player we do know, Kovacic, who plays for Chelsea. When he plays for Chelsea, he only has 70 70 minutes in him, 70 minutes in him. 
you're really lucky if he lasts 66, right? He's always, always taken off. He get, I'm not saying he doesn't try for Chelsea, but they do the monitoring of the players and they work out he's going to, his form will, his energy levels will dip after, after 60 to 70 minutes. He went off after 106 minutes today. And that, and he, he, he was not, his, his form was not dipping. He was still, you know, putting his, body in front of the ball. He was shielding the ball. He was making tackles. He was covering the ground. He was, this is what they do, Croatia. They get the very most they can out of every single player. They don't, they don't indulge anyone. Modric is not, the theme so far has been, what you, what do you do with your star player? Modric is not indulged. I saw him tracking back. I saw him doing the boring stuff. And it's that, that is a team you can't, I don't think it's possible to criticise Croatia given the size of the nation and how consistent they have been of late. And my main worry for them is that we're going to, they're going to keep on doing this, going to extra time and penalty shootouts. And by the time they get to the final, it'll be the same as last time. They'll be exhausted and not perform as well as they can. Which will be perfect for Gareth Southgate's England. But anyway... Now we'll come to that when we when it comes to the Croatia England final. But Alison's right. You know, there's so many players that I've been watching for Croatia in the last two games. Dejan Lovren, he, I mean, the lad looks like Franz Beckenbauer again. It's the gins talking. Don't hold it against me. But he's been absolutely superb. Um, Juranovic at right back. Hugh, you picked him out beforehand and said, you know, worries about him going up against Vinicius Junior. The guy could have been Cathu. He was absolutely flying forward, confident on the ball, overlapping. I thought he was superb. Alison makes an excellent point. You know, that's, that is what Dalic does well, as well as keeping them mentally sharp and focused. His powers of um, encouragement must be absolutely off the charts because he does something to this team that makes them perform way, way beyond, exactly as Alison says. Well, listen, they have something which is not tangible which I admire strongly. I've always spoken about the sense of unity and spirit being a major factor in international tournaments. And obviously due to the history of their country, I do think they have something extra. I was reading about Luka Modric in the build-up to this game, his grandfather being shot when he was six years old, becoming a refugee. I was speaking about it with some journalists um, beforehand and they they were like, well, it's not just Luka. I mean, it's not like a... You know, it's not just a him story. You know, Dan Lovren was a refugee and he went to Germany and he grew up there and he was sort of bullied for being a Croat in Germany refugee. And then when he came back, when he was six or seven years old to Croatia, they sort of bullied him for being this soft kid from from Munich. You know, like there are stories throughout this Croatian team that are something extra. And they are something extra. You, you, you cannot look at a nation of four million people who have been in six World Cups as an independent nation, six, and have been in the semi-finals three times. I can't, I actually cannot fathom that. You know, I, I still think it's 11 versus 11, and I still think, you know, in terms of the perfect team, which is what I, I refer to when I call all of these, these teams awful, you know, the ideal in my mind, there are obviously none of them bad teams, you know, I just got sensationalized things for the podcast. But ultimately, Croatia are more than the sum of their parts. The only team that we're talking about that actually I could say, yes, they are. I mean, if you've seen Juranovic play for Celtic in the Champions League against Vinicius Junior this season, which I think over two games was 8-1 on aggregate, Real Madrid over, over Celtic, 
you know, he was at fault for virtually every goal. I mean, it looked like he did not belong in European football. And today it looked like Vinicius Jr. needed the hook at 10 minutes earlier than he actually got it. The coach is fantastic. I mean, they are set up beautifully. Ultimately, I'm going to go to that that Guardiola quote, you know, I couldn't play this way without brilliant players. I think in the in the case of Croatia, they could not play that way still if it wasn't for Luka Modric, who just, because he's not a forward, we don't see him in the same way, but he is Messi, he is Lewandowski, you know, he is Mbappe, he is that Croatian team. You know, it's a marvel to watch him in the flesh doing what he does. It's incredible. Definitely the, the greatest midfielder of his generation. And But without him, there's an, I don't see there's any way that they would get these results. And again, I have no issue with that. But ultimately, my criticism comes when I think good goalkeeper, he's played well. Defence has played very, very well in this tournament. Midfield is as good as anyone else's. Forward line, Tottenham fans should ask for their money back for Ivan Perisic and he was a free transfer because he clearly couldn't care less about playing at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium because this man has been incredible at the World Cup. The work rate, the effort, the quality, like we all love watching Perisic at his best, which we thought was already beyond like in, in the past, but I think he's been great at this tournament. But striker, right winger, key positions, yeah. I mean, that's going to let them down, I think. They are going to have to try and defend and go for extra time and penalties from here on out because as much as there is that endeavour to go forward, which they did show, I totally agree with you, there's no one to finish it off. There is no final pass. There is no finish. You know, uh, there just isn't. So that's what they have to do. They have to hope for the nil-nil and penalties. And, Alison, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You have to do what you have to do to get through. But obviously, I'm not going to sit here and say they're an amazing team just because they knocked Brazil out. They are amazing because of how small they are. No, it doesn't, that doesn't make sense. Look, Andy Ruiz knocked out Anthony Joshua, okay? His body looks like mine. It, it doesn't mean he's an incredible boxer because he won. No, but it, it makes the achievement incredible. Because it you makes won. the achievement incredible, which in turn makes them incredible for for achieving it no, I think no, I, I said it's an incredible achievement I've just waxed lyrical no, but about I think, this team I think and turn, what makes them great turn, but what makes them great what makes them great Tom is not that they're a great team they're not a great football they're not a great football they're a good football team it's the worst World Cup ever. Don't take it away from me. It is. <laughs> well, you're going to have to get used to a, a romping England victory tomorrow night and England winning the World Cup, and then you'll have to change your mind. Hopefully. I think it'll be a good semi-final, Argentina against Croatia, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet against Croatia going through. Why? Because I don't think Argentina are that good. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So today at the World Cup sees Morocco take on Portugal, a game which is quite evenly balanced, I think. But obviously Portugal seemed to have found a recipe last time out with that Ramos hat-trick. Morocco, if their players are unfit, if they don't get their first team out there, I think it could be a very difficult afternoon. But let's find out how their fans, or fan, is feeling because we have caught up uh, with a resident Moroccan fan who spoke to Alison a little bit earlier about their feelings going into this. Well, on the game podcast, we made an effort to sum up what it might mean to Morocco to have gone deep into the tournament. But who better to then really tell it how it is, but a Moroccan national who's living in London, who happens to be a big fan of the game podcast. Um, a big hello to Jace Mahaji. How are you, Jace? Very well, thank you. Thanks for having thank me you on. For, well, thank you. So, as I said, we, we can only guess at the, the seismic nature of <laughs> Morocco's progress and how you must be feeling about the game against Portugal. Could you, could you sum up for us what it means to you and other Morocco fans? Oh, it's 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 absolutely mad. I mean, the feeling is really indescribable. That this week, I mean, we've all been sort of on a high, uh, myself and everybody back home. Very very few life events compare. Um, it's it's sort of like feeling like when you're a teenager and you've got this crush, and then you know the girl likes you back, and you kind of <laughs> are secretly smiling all day. And that's how I felt. Um, all week and but interestingly the excitement sort of faded because of the game tomorrow we're sort of like back to business uh we've got kind of a mission to accomplish so um no it's it's honestly it's it's historical it's pure unadulterated joy uh back home there is some social unrest back home and would you i mean how does success in football affect that and the way people feel about the way they are governed and the way they live I mean, I wouldn't say there's social unrest, but there's a sort of malaise that's kind of simmering and, and you know, it's sort of a fer- fermentive atmosphere. And, you know, you can be sure that this victory or, or this progress or sort of our success story in this World Cup really cures that um, for a long time. Uh, I mean, the unity, you know, Morocco is a country that's quite divided on, on, on so many lines. Uh, sort of economic and various geographical, but this time you really feel a, an insane amount of unity and patriotism. Really, it's it, but the healthy kind of patriotism. So you definitely know that it's sort of put off any kind of potential unrest or or, or sort of ill social ill for for quite a long time. Yeah, oh, it's interesting, and we we also wondered when we were discussing 
Morocco, whether this was a triumph for Africa, or should we call it a triumph for North Africa, or how do you see it as a Moroccan national? Um, it's interesting. I think uh, there's definitely this sort of belonging to part of the African football world, but also the Arab world. Um, and then you, and all that I think is framed in sort of an underdog kind of angle. Um, you know, we're geographical underdogs, but also in sporting terms. So I think it, there's many different facets to, to, to that belonging and, and definitely being, you know, African football, uh, you know, Morocco is a country of firsts, right? We're the first African nation to qualify for the World Cup in 1970, first to get a point, first to reach the knockouts in 86, uh, and hopefully the first uh, in the semifinals. So there's definitely a wider significance there uh, for the continent, but also for the wider Muslim and, and Arab world. Yeah, and what do you, what do you think are the keys to overcoming Portugal? Is it about individual players holding it together or do you think you'll have a, a cunning tactical plan? I think I think just more of the same. I mean, we've got a formula that, that works. You know, this is no fluke, right? We were top of the group, you know, beat some big teams, uh, haven't conceded a goal to the opposition at all, uh, including penalty shootouts. Uh, and this goes even further back before the World Cup. I mean, I think we'd gone with, uh, you know, no, no goals conceded in our qualifying group. Uh, so, you know, a rock solid defense that seems to be, you know, very, very robust and a little bit of magic from from some of our offensive players like Ziyech and, and Buffet and even Hakimi from from right from right back. So and I did, think I think more of the same. Yeah, I just I mean, there's been a lot at this World Cup of sort of nation, the fans of nations becoming impatient with the style of football that their teams play. We've just watched. Holland go out effectively playing long ball football and everyone forgetting what total football used to be. And I just wonder, do do, do fans of Morocco uh, care about the fact that, that the success is built on a defensive structure and the flair is reasonably limited? I think it's, um, I think not at all. I mean, look, if, if you know, we're, we're, we're a small football team, right? We're, we're an underdog. So I think it's, it's a sort of win at all costs mentality. And this is how it feels to be a, a fan of, of, of a country like that. I mean, but I think that the whole park the bus kind of narrative is very oversimplified. I mean, a lot of you see what Rodri said after the Spain game saying Morocco offered nothing. And I think that's that's completely wrong. I think, um, you know, we had more shots on target. We were through on goal 1v1 on two occasions. You know, yes, it's defensive, but it's not a park the bus style of play. I mean, there is ball playing. There's a bit of a mid block. Yeah, I mean, of course, we're not going to try and dominate possession and, and get a thousand passes, attempt a thousand passes in Spain. But, but I think, uh, you know, I think it, the, the defensiveness is is appreciated and embraced because it's sort of this, you know, collective strength and it's the mental side of things, it's the emotional side of things, it's handling the pressure, and then you get all these usual cliches, you know, playing for the shirt, as they say in French, mouiller le maillot, you know, to sort of wet the, the jersey, and and I think that defensiveness embodies all those things that we like about uh, our team. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've really enjoyed watching them actually. Finally, Jace, who is your key player? Who is the, the one player that A, will make the difference against Portugal and that you've got a soft spot for? Uh, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of heroes in this team. Um, and I think a lot of people will point to Ziyech and Hakimi as the sort of, and Bono, of course, as the, as the main protagonist. But I'm going to go with Amrabat. 
Um, I think he's above and beyond the best central midfielder of this World Cup. I mean, he's he's an absolute warrior. Um, so I, I'll go with Amrabat. Well, I'm, we're all looking forward to it enormously. Not as much as you, but <laughs> well, have you any idea what? Just let's just fantasize. Actually, what if if Morocco were to win the World Cup? What would it mean to you personally? How would you cope? Um, Oh my god! I don't. I don't think I can. Um, I don't think I can tell you. It's. Uh, I think if we just make it to the semis, it'll be hard to describe. Let alone winning the World Cup. I mean, it would be. I think a month-long bank holiday back home. But uh, no, on, honestly, I. I think it would be so big. It would be hard to even um, fathom at this stage. Um, genuinely. Will you promise to come back on the podcast if you do? Oh my god! Uh, uh, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, we'll hold you to that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Alison. So we know how Morocco fans are feeling. It's a, it's a, it's a big game against Cristiano Ronaldo and co. Yeah, he's still the headline act. I'm still going to mention him. Ramos and the rest. That's what we say. Cristiano Ronaldo and co. Ramos and the rest. Anyway, England are in action against France. Um, tense. We're all nervous now. Because we've seen the World Cup is open. No one's good, so anyone could win it. England have a chance. Football could possibly be coming home. We only have the worst draw out of all of the teams in terms of the quarterfinals by taking on the defending champions, France, who are also uh, in pretty good form so far, especially Kylian Mbappe, five goals, two assists. Lots of the talk has been about how uh, England are going to stop him, but do they have to worry about stopping England? What do you think, Tom? I think they definitely do have to worry about stopping England. Um, I'm sure listeners have their suspicions that I'm incredibly pro-Gareth just for the sake of balance on this podcast because of how miserable you lot can sometimes be. But I honestly, genuinely feel like this team is building towards something. And I feel like it is building towards a big performance against France. One of one of good character, good mentality, um, hopefully similar to that of the Croatians. But I also think that there are a lot of players there be it both the Jude Bellinghams, the young players, but also the Harry Kane's primes to put in big international worthy performances at a World Cup. We've got a piece in the Times tomorrow with a journalist uh, from France who used to work for L'Equipe saying, you know, being quite dismissive of England's team and things like that. I I think there's a bit of uh, playfulness to uh, that kind of analysis. I genuinely think France will be worried about England and quite rightly so. I think in terms of Mbappe has obviously been a fascinating part of the build-up to this game. He's been the star of the tournament, undoubtedly. But I also feel fairly confident that England will set up tactically in order to stop not just him, but the passes that come through to him as well. That's a big part of football. You know, it's not he's not a Lionel Messi type player necessarily. He he does have the skills, of course, and the pace to take the ball and beat players. But he needs a team to operate around him to get the absolute most out of him. And I feel quietly confident that England will find a way to negate France's threats. I am less confident. Shock. Shock. Got to play to type, haven't we? But Come on, Anne. The reason I say that is I watched a lot of France in Russia last time round and they took a while to get to grips with who they were and how they were going to function. And they got better with each match. But from a fairly uninspiring starting point, actually. They were disappointing early on. But now I feel this time around, they've, they've, they've started better. They look like they're a more grown-up team and they know who they are and what their strengths are. There's no fiddling around with it. They're, they've just got that aura of champions 
who know how to do it. I and, and I think England obviously have extra experience and some of the young players are older now. But I just think comparing what you have, it's France have got everything almost and England don't. I still feel we're working out what the best England is and the best way they can play. Whereas I don't think France will care too much about who the opposition are. Actually, I think they'll have faith that they have cracked the system, cracked the code, and that sort of aura will see them through. And and they are not a one-man team at all. And I think it suits them perfectly to hear us or any commentators talking about it like that. I think you could quite legitimately point to five or six players on the front side and say, well, they're pretty darned impressive, aren't they? I mean, most of the discussion of tonight's podcast has been about disappointment. And I don't think anyone in the France team has been disappointing at all. I, I don't know where the narrative came from that Griezmann was having a bad World Cup. He clearly is having an excellent World Cup. It just feels like they're just in a better place than England. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not saying England can't have a... I just think England probably need to go up a more gears than France need to to progress. Yes, but but it's close. I'd say it's sort of 60-40 in France's favour. I don't want to be an after-the-fact kind of person, so I'm just going to get it off my chest now. If we play three in midfield, a 4-3-3 from the start, I don't see England winning this game. But I think we will start the game that way. So what I'm asking, Gareth, is if it's not going right for once in your England managerial career, change it straight away rather than waiting for the opposition to score a goal. That's, that's all, that is all I'm going to say, because I honestly don't think, you know, people are like, be aggressive, be on the front foot, you've played well, you've scored goals, whatever, whatever. I still don't think this England midfield is good enough to control the possession of the game against France. I don't think we will. I don't think we'll hold on to the ball as well as them. So when you're putting an extra player in midfield, I still don't think we'll dominate possession. Still don't think we'll, we'll have the best of it. All you're doing is you're, you're leaving fewer players against their front three, actually. So I think Dembele's great. He has been great. He's confident. He's right. He hasn't necessarily got the goals on the final ball at this point in time, but um, he's trying just about everything he can on, on both feet. So Griezmann, great, great tournament so far. He's probably the key player. It, it really, I feel that he is the key player. If he plays badly, I'm not really sure they've got a, a number 10 of his level to come on and create things. And then Mbappe, obviously, brilliant. Giroud's going to chip in with a goal, isn't he? Obviously, overhead kick. So it's going to be tough for England. And um, I think if we're naive enough to just be like, yeah, we're playing well, let's not change for them. Even though I heard Gareth Southgate today saying we we adjust things slightly for every game based on the opposition, I think we'll have to adjust a lot. Um, I I just don't see us outplaying them at their own game. Like, I just think we do need to go to a back five. It has worked for England. If it's 1-0... And it's a Harry Maguire. If we come onto this podcast tomorrow, Tom, and Harry Maguire has scored the header from a set piece in a 1-0 win with five at the back, I will... Well, I'll just say good stuff. I'm not going to make any bigger promises, to be honest. I will take it all back about Harry Maguire, but not Gareth Southgate. But I will take some of it back, okay? If I think England have a 40% chance of beating France, I'm confident. I'm confident. Anyone can win it. And you know why? Don't say it. no one's good. Yes, exactly. Don't say it. But if if I could just quickly, because I don't disagree with any of the things that you guys are saying. I just think you're looking at it from a purely France angle. 
Alison, you're quite right. Griezmann has had an excellent tournament. The superior team in terms of stature and experience, they're the holders. Hugh, you're right to pick out players like Dembele and say that it's not just about Mbappe who's a threat. But England have the same attributes. They don't have the experience of winning the tournament. They have a manager who's perhaps not as experienced. But they have, you've just reeled off some players. I could do the same with England. Harry Kane has scored his first goal and had looked brilliant in a creative role before that. All of England's forward line have scored and looked superb to the point where we know that whoever starts will be in pretty good form. Raheem Sterling to putting to one side, of course, given the situation that he's had to deal with. The players that are coming off the bench, be it Marcus Rashford or otherwise, are also in form. And we've got one of the star young players alongside Musiala and Gravidol, Guardiol, sorry, for Croatia in terms of the tournament. So you're absolutely right to reel off all the players that you both did, but the French version of the game will be doing the same about England's. And so that's all I'm saying. And I agree with you. I don't think England will try and control the game and I don't think they should, but I think they'll let France have control of the game. They'll go 2-0 up and Mbappe will score and Marcus Rashford will come off the bench and make it 3-1. They spent two thirds of the press conference today, the French journos asking the French players about set pieces and the coaches about set pieces. They don't think France are good enough defending set pieces. And obviously they think we're pretty good at them. It doesn't suggest they think they're going to get outplayed though. So I'm I don't just think saying. They, I don't think we will outplay them. I think we'll beat them. I don't think we'll outplay them. Okay. Are you on tomorrow? Yeah. Clip it all up. I'm ready. I'll be, I'll have, <laughs> I won't have had any gins tomorrow. So I'll probably be making more or less sense. You decide, but <laughs> we'll find out. We will see a huge, huge game, huge game. We've all been waiting for France against England at the World Cup for us to discuss uh, with you tomorrow. Tom Clark, Alison Rudd, thank you very much. Thank you all for listening. Everything you need from the World Cup is available on the Times app, so do check it out. You can, of course, subscribe to the game, thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. All the games live on TalkSport as well if you want to have a listen to them uh, out and about. So listen, make sure you're checking out as much as you can from this World Cup, which I'm sad to say... Next weekend, we'll be done. What a week ahead for us. It's going to be amazing, all right? Stay with us. Uh, We'll be back with you tomorrow. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone.